Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen, best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency based in the UK. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Eric Fisher. Eric is a social media manager at Social Media Examiner, the world famous authority on everything social. So if he's a social media manager there, you know he knows his stuff. We talk in this episode about how to use social media as an engagement and community building tool rather than just something to generate traffic to your site. We also go behind the scenes on Social Media Examiner's Friday live video to give you a sense of the setup behind the scenes there and how they use that to build engagement and drive ticket sales to their events. We talk about Twitter and the future of Twitter and can it survive and how can people use it. We also talk about prioritizing. Now, social media, there's always so much to do, right? There's so many different channels, so many different possible angles that you could take, an infinite amount of communication and outreach that you could be doing. So Eric gives us his tips on how to prioritize and focus your attention on the stuff that matters most. We even talk about virtual reality, my favorite. Anyway, don't forget, if you enjoy the show, then head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find it to leave us a rating and a review. And if you want a free review of your website and digital marketing complete with a customized plan put together by one of our expert marketing consultant team, then head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. The plan is freaking awesome and it's got over 200 five-star reviews on Facebook. Anyway, enjoy the show. So Eric, welcome to the show. Perhaps you could kick things off by introducing yourself and Social Media Examiner and maybe telling us a bit of your story about how you got into social media as well. Sure. Wow. Well, that's a weird story. Let me start with, (laughs) I've been part of the Social Media Examiner team for over three years now. And before that, I was doing social media at a university. And before that, they had tapped me for that university position because I already worked there in enrollment for adult students. I was doing podcasting and social media to promote that. And they said, hey, you know about this stuff. Why don't you take some of your weekly hours to investigate it and figure out how maybe we can use that and then we'll see where that goes. So that's the really short version right there. That's probably the shortest I've ever said it. <laughs> and, and Social Media Examiner, how did you get involved with those guys? Yeah, so I was, let's see, I've, I was doing a podcast so, called Social Media Serenity with Cliff Ravenscraft for two plus years or more. And at some point there, then I just started doing social media segments on his podcast, Answer Man Show. And that is where Michael Stelzner first heard of me. And then we met up at uh, New Media Expo at one point. And then when I was moving out of the university position, he said, hey, we have somebody, we uh, we have a, a need for what you were doing there for us. Would you be interested? And so we started talking and I kind of applied and did things and that's that's how that started. Awesome. I, I want to ask you about social media advice in, in general, as that's, you know, SME's kind of remit. But I also want to want to talk to you today about the social media marketing that you guys do for Social Media Examiner as well. So maybe we could start off talking about goals, because I think goals are something that people really struggle with. They just head over to their social pages and they just start posting and they don't really know why they're doing it, or they they can't really measure success. It's just something that they feel they have to do because everyone else is doing it and they read a book and it told them to do it or whatever. How important do you think goals are 
for social media when, when someone's starting out a campaign? Well, I think it's pretty important because anything you're spending time on and, and boy, social media can be a time suck. If you're not intentionally spending your time on something to get a specific outcome or at least trying to attempting to, then you're wasting your time. And so if you don't have plainly thought out, brainstormed, curated types of objectives, of goals that you want to see happen, I mean, having them be vague, like I want to make money in my business, or I want to get more customers, I want to sell more tickets, like those are the first step. But you know, you want to, those, those are the, that's the first why you want to know the why behind the why. And then you want to start even digging deeper to figure out the how behind the why behind the why. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so maybe you could give us an example with social media examiner. What, what are the goals that you guys set for your social? Sure. Well, our goal, and this is something that we transitioned into late last year in 2016 was this idea that and Michael talked about all of this in his keynote at Social Media Marketing World, that algorithms, they're on every single channel now. Everyone either knows that they're getting less traffic from social than they ever did before, or they don't know. And since they don't know, they just don't know they haven't been getting as much traffic. <laughs> and us as a social team had been bagging our heads up against the wall for you know the last two years plus because we were measuring with UTM tracking, which is what's uh, available in Google Analytics. So we knew what of our own efforts was bringing in traffic outside of the just general organic traffic driving. And we said, you know, this has got to change. Not the traffic. We don't really have a huge way of making suddenly Facebook show our stuff to tons more people. That's just never going to happen again, other than paying for it strategically, if you can. But what we can do is shift to be a community building social team instead of just a traffic driving social team. Now, we do still keep our hand on the pulse in terms of the traffic, but it's lower in our objectives. Our higher objective is now community building. That's really interesting. And I think that goes that that's a completely different goal to how most people would, you know, if they had to sit down with a pen and paper and say, what do you want from your social media? The answer is always usually first sales and then it's traffic. Maybe you could talk to us about what community building really means and and how you measure the success of that perhaps yeah and so and that and, and and trust me this is all stuff that i have i'll just be honest struggled with because community building can be somewhat vague it's like saying you know how do you measure the success of a marriage or or a relationship like how do you quantify you know do, do you trust that person more mm. or less as you did in the past it's a lot of touchy feely stuff. But what we come down to is if we're seeing increased engagement and we are seeing uh, and I don't just mean on like social posts, I just mean in general, are we seeing a greater increase in people knowing, liking and trusting us and the evidence of that? Can we capture that? That was that was what we started to do is, you know, we would take screenshots and we would mark that down and say, OK, we are starting to see that more when we're spending more we're spending more time engaging instead of thinking too hard about posting uh we still do think hard about that by the way but yeah it comes down to what kind of community do we want we want a community that is loyal to us we want a community that is a loyal following base that will advocate for us that will be our customer but 
customer is almost the wrong word, but, you know, be be a partner in the exploring of social media, if you will, since that's our whole thing. And yeah, buy tickets to our event because we know that it can be life changing when people go. They tell us best conference ever and we're flattered. It's, it's a really interesting point. And I think that one of the things that we as business owners can do is look at the the people who are using social media most effectively and for whom kind of social media has been built around really say influencers right like youtubers and people who have blogs and instagrammers and they almost never make the focus of their campaign to drive traffic to their website do they their focus is exactly what you're saying it's building the community it's increasing engagement as much as possible and then when they do have a reason to drive people over to their site or they have a meetup or something the engagement is super high, even though they haven't made that a consistent goal throughout their campaign, in inverted commas. It's just it's just part of what they do. It's how they measure their own success, isn't it? Do you think that that's a, it's an accident that you've come across this? Or, or do you think that really this is, we, we found the essence of what social should be measured by? Well, I think we kind of got away from it. I've been in social media since, you know, Facebook first went public to non-college students. And even back then when Twitter was available and it asks you, what are you doing? And (laughs) it was all about socializing. It was about interaction. It was about building relationships. And I think somewhere along the way, and I try not to include myself in this, though, probably, possibly I'm part of it. Marketers ruined it all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they, they see yet another channel to post things on and they emphasized the media portion of the words social media and they forgot about the social and that's not a new realization people have been saying this all along and sometimes you know even me saying it right now somebody's probably thinking oh my yes yeah but like i'm not the originator of that even though i felt it the whole time but yeah that's that's the point is like being involved with the people who you have the opportunity to serve and to get to know, like, and trust them and vice versa is the way business is going to work moving forward. So talking about some specifics then, so people can kind of get a feel for what this might look like. What are some of the most effective community building strategies or techniques that that you guys use on a weekly basis? Well, we, now this is one that's private because we do have a, a membership community called the Social Media Marketing Society, which we're going to close the doors on again in a few weeks. But we do an open office hours there where the social media team goes live inside of we we use Crowdcast and Mm -hmm. all the members of the society can go there and they can ask us their questions in real time. They can even jump on screen and talk with us if they want to. And we do that on a biweekly basis. We may move to a, a more often frequency at some point. We also will go live on our Facebook page and do live interaction at times. Breaking the news is one of the key things. And especially we hit on this, this particular piece way before we decided to change our focus, which was having the social media marketing talk show on Fridays where we go live and we get have gathered the day before all the social media news that's happened in the last week. We dissect it, we process it, and then we deliver it to the audience. And people love this. Like I saw people at the conference the last two years in a row who've come up and said, I'm here because of that show. So there's your proof. Wow. Okay. So that's a super clear ROI thing, even though that wasn't your goal. 
Exactly. Yeah, we we didn't even start that show necessarily to be a community building thing, although we quickly figured out that we had hardcore people who show up every single week and we even notice when they're not there. And, (laughs) you know, like and 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 isn't that exactly the definition of community? Totally. So how have you seen that show evolve? What are the what are some of the things that you've learned to increase engagement inside the show? Yeah, so we. Let's see here. So we as a social team slash news team, we, uh, along with Michael Stelzner, we get together on Thursdays. We again, we go through all the news. But what we've done is we've refined over time. I mean, uh, this coming, I don't know, August, I think we'll have been doing it for two years now. And we've had to jump platforms two or three times because either stuff shuts down like Blab or Huzza, which was bought by Kickstarter. And so now we use Crowdcast and it suits our needs. Honestly, we have a backstage person who's not on camera, who's doing the bulk of the engagement, but also I either am co-host or, for example, this week, Mike's out of, uh, he's on vacation, so I will be leading it. But we've got multiple people there live interacting with the comments on the sidebar, as well as on video, talking about the news and, and going back and forth. We bring all our speakers as guests contextually onto the show to talk about the news, depending upon what topic they're an expert in as well. It sounds like quite a, quite an operation. Did it start out that way? And maybe you could take us kind of behind the scenes on what a typical show looks like behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, it, it started off more simply, then it got way more complex, but we strive for simplicity all the way through as we go, like for, for a long time there, not as often these days, because Things go pretty smoothly, but we would do a debrief immediately after the show. We'd jump on Skype. We'd talk through it. But I mean, I can walk you through the process of the entire show from start to finish. So we've got a private Facebook group where a certain select group of people in the company are looking for outside of that group, I should say, looking for the latest and greatest in breaking news. And and we've got some alerts set up. We've got certain RSS feed things captured. We all have our different styles. but As soon as it comes in, we drop it in there so everybody else can see it. We have a show producer who will pull all those things into Trello. And then on a Thursday, the day before the show, we have an hour long meeting where we go through and we say, what is segment worthy? What's worth talking about? What's worth just mentioning and what's completely thrown out? And we, through the process of that, then lock in the show. And then that show producer takes the stuff from Trello and moves it into a Google Doc and processes those th- that meeting basically into the show notes for that week's show. That also then gets taken into our Saturday post, which is now our show notes and playback or replay, you know, home base, if you will, for that Friday show. And then we do the show live on Friday. We go live a little ahead of time. We talk with everybody. Then we boom, top of the hour. We hit go and we start talking and we bring guests on and off. No technical issues uh, happening. We have a great show. We get to the end and we say goodbye and boom, we're done. And it's it's just fun. That's incredible. It's, it sounds like, a, you know, it's, I'm thinking like a TV studio with a director and stuff. But there so many moving parts there. So um, I guess some of the listeners will be thinking, I love the idea of Facebook Live. I love the idea of engaging my audience live. But there's just no way I can even begin to comprehend something that advanced. It, how important do you think it is to have 
that infrastructure in place to do this stuff is it okay to just start off super basic Uh, oh i think you could start off i mean if you have a couple of things you just know you can sit and talk with and or bring somebody on to talk about with you i don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to just start because that's the thing is all of us who are on the show have experience in either podcasting or live video or we have been doing it now for a while with live video so you only get better at it by doing it. So I would say if you have an in- an inkling or an itching to do it, just get started and try it out and keep keep practicing. That's great advice. And the people who are doing the live engagement while you guys are doing the show, is that the next step up for someone who's, who's doing this? Because I've tried doing Facebook Live myself. It's really difficult to keep on top of it, all the engagement and stuff. And it must be quite nice having people on there who are, you know, reaching out to people, making sure that questions are answered and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and and I take part in that as well because I swap co-hosting duties with one other person. And so one week I'm the one who's sitting there and answering questions or bringing stuff in or, or doing community engagement. And other times I'm on screen, although half the time when I'm on screen as co-host, I'm either doing screenshots where I bring it up and we're screencasting some of the screenshots to show what we're doing and what we're talking about. But if there aren't any, I'm also looking at the comments as well. Awesome. Awesome. I, I want to change tack a little bit and, and talk about the delegation and management side of social media. So obviously, you know, with the, the live shows, there's there's an organizational structure there that enables you, you to do those things. We're talking about priorities more generally for people. So some of our listeners are managing their own social campaigns. Some of our listeners are marketing managers. They might have a few people underneath them. When you're looking at prioritizing and, and beginning to delegate a social media plan, um, how do you decide which bits you want to look after and how do you decide which bits you want to give to other people to do? Well, there's a couple different variables that would be going on there. I think one, it's going to be dependent upon who already has what role. Like if there's something, for example, with Pinterest or Instagram, I know that there's a, that I have a guy that I should give that to instead of me doing it. That's not to say I don't know those things or know them enough to struggle with it, but the other guy's going to get it done faster than me. So it's going to be based on talent and or time available. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm learning to delegate more than ever before because there's always more stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> and the temptation of seeing something that you know you can do really well, it's just too much sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. So... Uh, But knowing that somebody else can do it and even maybe do it better than me is something we all have to be open to when it comes to delegating and managing. A a business owner who's doing their own social media, which bits should they absolutely definitely be handling themselves? Well, I would say only the stuff that only they are uniquely qualified to do. If they're the one who has to make the call on certain things, then they better be the one making that call and they better make sure they protect their calendar enough to have time to make those calls. Yeah. yeah. I think people sometimes get confused by thinking that they need to be the one that does all the posting. They need to be the one that does all the engagement. It's completely okay. And like you say, you'll find someone who's able to do it as good, probably better than you anyway. So sometimes people need to just let go of that stuff, knowing that they have bigger picture things to be handling. You know, probably a business owner shouldn't be posting on their own Facebook, right? 
No, with some exceptions, possibly them going live on the page, because, for example, whenever Michael Stelzner does that for our page, people love it. But again, he's also the busiest guy in the company. So, yeah, you mentioned that social media can be a bit of a kind of black hole and a time sink. And, you know, particularly when we're talking about people who are super busy, productivity and, and prioritization is super important. So do you have any strategies or suggestions for how people can keep on the productive side rather than the, you know, the, the tendency to just turn into massive consumption mode? Sure. Well, I mean, again, you've got to block out the time. So uh, one, you've got to do your pre-work, your homework. You've got to know what it is you need to do. You need to do that while you're unplugged from social. You have to decide kind of routines, rituals, schedules, those kinds of things and know when you're going to work best on those things and then schedule the time for it and then set a timer even because even me, like I can go jump into Facebook and do something that's good, but be ignoring something that I need to work on that's great. Mm. And so it really does take putting on the correct blinders. It takes, I mean, even if, even if I have to, and I do do, I do this, by the way, I will literally go in on my personal calendar and I will block out the like I will set an appointment with myself and say, this time is designated to work on this. It's a meeting with myself to work on such and such a project. And that's most likely not a social media, you know, me being on a network working, you know, scheduling posts or interacting or that kind of thing. It's more me maybe doing investigative work kind of a thing. And I have to dedicate that time to it or I'll never get around to it. And the same thing is true with that engagement time. Like that is time that is needed. I mean, especially if you're going to be building community, like you have to set aside the time to make sure you go in in intervals, especially if you're trying to coordinate a team that's doing that. You have mm. to set all that up. And, and all of this takes all this takes that pre-work, that homework, that setting it up ahead of time, deciding ahead of time and not in the moment type of a mentality. But trust me, setting it up ahead of time takes way less time to do and reaps way more benefits than just deciding in the moment and being re reactionary all day. That is so true. Even if it's just setting aside, I, I used to do like, I set aside at some time, I used to make it Sunday morning where I just go and write a bunch of posts which could go out during the week or something. Just knowing that you've taken care of it in that block and that that's the only thing that you're doing in that time. And then all of the rest of the time you can focus on other stuff you don't have to disrupt your day because you need to go and check up on whatever because it's all set up and it's all ready to go out. I, I think that's 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 really good advice. I, I'm interested. Do you guys use any scheduling tools to to make it more efficient so you're not having to dip in and out the whole time? Yeah, as far as scheduling posts, we will you we use Facebook natively to schedule our Facebook posts. Social oomph is something that we have. We we have used that for a long time. We really have no need to change away from it. So we use that for our tweets as well as some LinkedIn stuff. And then I know that then as, outside of that, the person that we have that does Instagram and Pinterest, I know they use, let's see, is it Iconosquare for Instagram? Oh, yeah. Which doesn't, there's no tool. Anybody who tells you there's a tool that actually schedules Instagram, they're lying because that's still not allowed through the API, but it will let you set all of it up and have it prepped and ready to go and then remind you so that you can hit go and actually send it yourself. And then they'd use uh, tailwind for their Pinterest stuff. Cool. Um, I, I want to ask you about Twitter. We, we spoke a bit about Facebook live and 
It feels like a lot of the innovation that's going on in social media seems to be not happening on Twitter. <laughs> Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think Twitter, a lot of people are just like, well, you know, what's going on with Twitter? And, you know, in fact, at the conference, I was on a panel about Twitter and just saying, look, you get in, you get out of it what you put into it. And a lot of us have done the set it and forget it, tweet every hour on the hour stuff for so long. And again, there you go. That's the focusing on the media, the broadcasting side of things instead of going in and engaging with people that are following you, especially now that there's an algorithm there. I mean, the, th the thing about Twitter is it, it fills a unique role, doesn't it? There was a we're filming this the day after the terrorist attacks in Manchester. And the place that you go to find out information in a situation like that is just Twitter by default, right? And everyone's there and everyone's talking about it. So it feels like it's really important for society. And yet it doesn't seem to have a clear path to monetization. Do you think it can, do you think it will survive? Oh gosh, that's a, it's a great question. I hope so. I <laughs> think it's probably my preferred network, to be honest. Wow. And I think it's because of that very reason that I think that I can go there and I can find things out and I can do it. And, and I think for I, I think this varies from person to person. For me, it's personally my favorite because that's where my family isn't, you know, <laughs> like I can post something or retweet something there and then not have people like starting to comment on it, you know like I would on Facebook. Facebook's more like yeah. close friends and family. Twitter's more like I can interact with people that I'd like to be influenced by. I always think of Facebook's for people that you know and Twitter's for people that you want to know. There you go. <laughs> so you talk about um, the engagement side of things versus just using Twitter as a broadcast platform to just pump out automated content. How much time do people have to spend on this? Because that feels like something which is, you know, that, that that's a lot of work, right? That can't be automated. So do people need to think about this in a completely different way? I think so. I mean, I don't think that, I don't know. We all think that it takes up tons of time and it can, but it's all about how much you are wanting to get involved and or use it for. Nobody is saying that, you know, you start a business and then from that moment forward, suddenly you have to have this many posts or this many podcasts or this many tweets or Facebook posts or, you know, you, and then you got to do Instagram stories and you've got, oh, don't forget regular Instagram and you, that you've got to do all of this on some inhuman frequency daily. It's just not true. You can set kind of the frequency that you want to do it. I don't think I've posted a picture on Instagram for about two weeks. I've done maybe one or two stories. Twitter, again, for me, you know, for me personally, now, as far as what the expectation is of a company, like, yeah, we've got our tweet of the day. That's that's our new article. And we're then in there talking with people. So and it's 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 really about contextually per business, what works for you, like for for somebody to assume that they're going to be responding to tweets questions within half an hour of it being posted is unrealistic for many, but very realistic for some of those large businesses who can staff for that. Hmm. So it's, it's, there's a spectrum. You have to decide where you fall in that. Yeah. And, and it's okay to ignore certain channels, isn't it? I think as well. I, I was think talking so. 
I was uh, I met a guy over the weekend who they've just launched this new fitness product and he, he I was talking to him about social media and he said we we're finding it really really difficult because we've got to be on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, our website needs work. We've got a blog. There's only 3 of us. We're spread so thin and I was like, dude, just choose one. Like let's just get one of them right. At the moment yes. you're doing none of them really badly. So <laughs> let's just put your time into one. Yeah, there's always room to improve. There's always room to learn and grow on all these channels. But I would say don't dip below 75 to 80 plus or more percent satisfaction rate or whatever you want to call it uh, of, you know, completion. It's almost like your LinkedIn profile where it's like you are 98 percent complete. Fill this one last thing out. You've got to pick and choose just a few channels to really do well. And the rest, you kind of say, if I have to be here, it's on autopilot. And you figure out the easiest way to do that. Like literally once a week, we have one guy go in and schedule the posts for Google Plus, And those just go out there because we still get traffic from it. But we're not actively engaged there. We just I, I personally think it'd be great if it just went away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, there you go. Now, I don't think that I really hope that doesn't happen for Twitter. But that's what a, a lot of people are acting like. Yeah, there can feel like there's a shortcut to being visible on all of the different channels using, you know, how when you put you post something on Instagram and it automatically feeds onto Twitter or you post something on Facebook and you get that hourly link and you get this automatic posting. And a lot of to the Twitter feeds that, that we have get sent to review is just automatic post after automatic post. There's nothing being posted in there natively. Obviously, that's rubbish. What's an alternative approach that people could take to to cross-pollinate if they're using multiple channels? I would say there's not necessarily a bad thing to cross-pollinating your posts, but you've still got to take a little extra time to uniquely present whatever that content is on whatever channel it is you're, you're posting it on. Like for a while there, we were taking our Instagram posts and we would then send that to our social media marketing world page, Facebook page, and then from there, share it over to the main Facebook page just to kind of get that ball rolling on that page. We'd then also take those images and schedule them out for Twitter and stuff. I mean, we weren't doing those all with a push of a button right on Instagram, sending them everywhere else because we had, hash, you know, you you hashtag up those Instagram posts. We don't want all those Instagram hashtags going over to Facebook. That's ridiculous. Mm. That clutters up the feed. You almost got to think of it as this is a bad analogy, but I'm going to go there. It's almost <laughs> like you bring home the pizza and everybody wants a different thing on it. So you just let them all put their own toppings on it after you cut it up and they take their slices. Yes, I like that. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. It's a kind of, I know Gary Vee always says you don't want to post, you know, don't use the same content on each network because the conversations that you're going to be having and the, and the format and the tendencies on that network are completely different. So you need to tell a different story. For most people, that's, it's not realistic with the time that they have available, right? Unless they have four different content teams, w one for each network is right. not possible. So totally. But it, I, but I want to point out here, like even Gary Vee will repurpose something he's created for one particular channel and then pull it over to somewhere else. Exactly. So it's using the same content, but using it in a slightly different way and adapting it for, for the particular ecosystem that you're in. Right. And again, if you're choosing right, if you're picking to not be on every single platform or 
not be active or, you know, if you prioritize your platforms, I guess is the best way to put this, then you know which ones you're going to use whatever content you've created in, in what order of re uh, or sorry, repurposing. Yeah. So you build for one particular platform and then you adapt for the others, which aren't your top priority. Yes. Love it. And I, I think it's going to be really uh, comforting to people to know that they don't have to be perfect on every single network. This is not like the, the, the bar to entry, the bar, you know, the bar is set pretty low by your competitors generally, aren't they? This is something where as long as you're doing some good stuff, as long as it's good, even if it's not absolutely perfect, you're better off doing it than not doing it and just getting scared and saying, ah, do you know what? We'll do social later on. Yeah. <laughs> We'll do um, that later. <laughs> yes. You've been in social a while. Um, what have been some of the most interesting changes that you've seen over, say, the last five years? I think the most interesting change that I've seen is this whole vertical video slash short form video and even the live video. I think it's I think that whole consumption creation and consumption process with all of that is the biggest thing that honestly I didn't see coming, but as it came, I was like, well, duh, of course that's what we're doing now. Yeah. That the vertical video thing is really confusing to me initially. Cause I thought, well, hold on, you know, that doesn't, that means none of your content really works on YouTube and you still see YouTube, you know, with these big black bars at the side and this tiny skinny little Drives video in the middle. Nuts. Yes. <laughs> What, what what's going to happen there something has to something has to change there surely yeah i i don't know there i mean there there are people who are vertical video enthusiasts there are landscape video purists and i i, I honestly don't know i i mean i i still think obviously tv is going to you know tv and official all that kind of stuff, you know, movie theaters, movie theaters do not have ver vertical screens. So you won't see any of that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. But there is something to be said for these short form live or otherwise types of content that are crafted to one of the more frequent consumption possibilities, which is these cell phones, these smartphones that we hold vertically. Now, do I, I mean, I, now do I prefer being about 40 to turn a video and look at it in landscape? So it fills up my entire screen and I see it in more of a cinematic way. Yes, absolutely. Do I think that there are people who've grown up behind me who don't care about that anymore? Yes. So unfortunately, it's it, I don't know where it's going to go long term. I don't think I'm going to turn my TV right side up at home anytime <laughs> soon. But monitors are able to do that now, you know, so who knows? Yeah. We'll see. I, I think it's just, you know, that whole on the go type of consumption on our phones and tablets is is something that we're going to have to continue to think about. Even even consuming that type of stuff on a desktop, like yeah, you've got those those sides of it that aren't you're 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 losing landscape. You're not doing you're not using the real estate in my mind to utmost optimization. Yeah, the um the kind of general trend that you're talking about the the kind of proliferation of of live video and and short form content and stuff like that. 
it feels like we're on the cusp of something really quite significant, doesn't it? People's attention more and more is going on to, you know, particularly Facebook with video and, and seeing how hard Facebook is driving the video and the live angle is, is really interesting. I wonder at what stage traditional TV networks and stuff are really going to start to feel a pinch as their audience's attention has started moving more towards video content on social media. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's that's the thing for me is again, I I guess I would call myself a uh, a landscape purist. I think that, you know, landscape and the the way that it I mean, you get those vistas. You you can see like so you know, I mean, I, the only time I hold my phone up really to do a vertical video or image is because it fits that kind of snapshot-esque content variable. But if I'm wanting to shoot something you be, that I want to keep for posterity and, and memories, like you better believe I'm switching to landscape because one, it's going to have way more like our, 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 our minds consume the content that way better. There's there's I mean, I'm not going to go all scientific, but there is science out there that there's a reason <laughs> there's a reason that you don't have one eye and then another eye up above it. You've got a left <laughs> and a right eye and they are spread out. And that's the way that we consume things. We, we consume them in a landscape way. And and that's why anyway, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing here, but. Yeah, I, I think there's a huge area there uh, to be opened up, but I do still think that quick and easy, almost visual texting, if you will, with that type of content, quick type of content creation and consumption, it's not going to go away. It's only going to get even more entrenched. Yeah, no, it's, uh, maybe maybe future generations will develop with the uh, with the vertical eye yes. orientation. Or maybe we'll just go to a square screen because I guess that makes the most sense for what you've got in front of you. And then it's, you know, orientation independent. That's true. I want to ask you about VR, which I guess is, is kind of related to this. And VR is something I'm personally super excited about. I just think it's, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things that I feel is just a complete no brainer. And I think we're going to lose large sectors of society to, to VR. Obviously, Facebook come out with its VR spaces thing, which is, super early stage and I don't, I don't know if you've had a play with it but do, do you see this as, as something that that people are going to be spending significant amount of significant amounts of, of time and, and money on in the future if you thought that social media was already addictive enough virtual reality <laughs> where you put something over your eyes so where you're not seeing where you are actually but you're seeing something else entirely virtually and that that type of input and motion and movement can make you feel like you are literally somewhere else. I mean, it's going to be even more. I mean, we're seeing, you know, funny videos right now of people who are doing weird things when they're watching, when they're, you know, they've got a, a VR goggle headset on and, and and they're tripping over stuff and they're falling into things and they're like, whoa, ah, like that kind of <laughs> America's funniest home video type stuff. And that just, I'll be honest, that, that freaks me out a little bit. I'm just like, okay, this is where stuff needs to work. I mean, because I'm already just like, okay, I'm going to keep that away from my kids. They already have enough time, you know, hard enough time staying off the iPad. So, yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, it's, I mean, the phone is such a, 
small part of our field of view, isn't it? And it takes such a disproportionate amount of our attention. So like you say, when you're completely enveloped and encapsulated in this world, and the thing that gets me is, like you say, people's reactions when they're using VR, their bodies believe that they're in that in that environment, right? Even though the graphics at the moment are terrible, the field of view isn't amazing, but even with all of that, they still believe it. There's no haptic feedback or anything. They, they, they still believe it. So if it's a believable world that people can get into, wow, the potential is just yeah. monster. It's not even that they believe it. It's that their senses believe it enough yeah. to give them that kind of vertigo feeling where they feel like they're almost going to fall off a cliff mm. and they're standing in their living room. Yeah, amazing. A- a- any thoughts on how businesses might get ready for this world or you super futuristic view of what this might mean for businesses? Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's there's people out there who are way more enthusiastic about the whole VR thing. And I do think it's cool technology that we have to be careful about how we use it. But I think there's definitely some benefits there. I think that, again, some of the stuff that you can learn or experience through those things in the same way that you go behind the scenes with live video could be applied to VR. Yeah. Very interesting. I think the opportunity for people to experience products and experience a business in a more immersive way than, than just the website or even just a Facebook Live is uh, is is really, really exciting. Yeah. Eric, um, thank you so much for this. It's been really fascinating to hear behind the scenes of uh, Social Media Examiner and, and to get your thoughts on social. Where can people find out more about you and more about SME? Sure. Yeah. Well, you can first and foremost find out more about Social Media Examiner and get involved in our community by going to socialmediaexaminer.com. And then if you want to deep dive into further the productivity, technology, social media sphere, I do a show called Beyond the To-Do List, which you can just find at beyondthetodolist.com. Awesome. So everyone should go and check out the Social Media Examiner Facebook page as well and check out those check out those Friday videos and Eric, your uh, your tips on prioritization and, and all the strategy side of things, I think, are awesome. So definitely check out the Beyond the Sedunas. Thank you very much, Eric. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Awesome. Thanks for having me. 